Welcome to Rose Tinted, a podcast where we challenge the limits of our nostalgia by re-examining some of our favourite childhood movies. I'm Ollie Chip. And I'm Paddy HK. And this week we are discussing Matilda. So I actually think there's quite a lot to talk about in this movie. Yeah, I think um, it's stood the test of time better than I thought it would. Yeah. Um, And there's a number of reasons for that. Like, yeah, we'll get into those. But I think that it's a shame that it's not got more credit than it has. I feel like... I don't know. I thought this was a classic before sitting down to watch it, but mm. I don't think it's really been perceived that way mm. um, in the mainstream at all. I think it's got, there's a slightly growing appreciation for it as the people who watched it as children have grown into being adults. I think mm. that has become evident. I think most people, when I mentioned this movie to them, so I obviously said to a few people that we were doing this movie on the podcast, and most people, when I mentioned this movie to them, they have resoundingly positive things to say about it. So it does seem to have a pretty enduring legacy but i think you're right in the sense that it's not something that is like lauded critically as you know being like one of the greatest children's movies of all time or anything but it was a thoroughly enjoyable experience revisiting this movie well i've I've literally been threatened by people to not say a bad word about it (laughs) as i am recording matilda today it's going to be a good one and it's just like if you say anything bad about it I'm just like, okay, I promise I'll try and be nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm currently editing Big Daddy, and obviously that's a bit of a window into the lengthy process that goes on behind the scenes, because yeah. according to our podcast listeners, we released Big Daddy ages ago. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm currently editing Big Daddy, and it, I'll tell you what, it's just refreshing to be able to talk about a movie that was actually charming and enjoyable to watch, you know? Wait, hold on. I I got very, very confused there for a second because I thought you were saying that something charming and fun to watch was Big Daddy. No, no, no. This was charming and fun to watch. Right. Big Daddy is a nightmare movie (laughs) and (laughs) it's been really entertaining (laughs) listening back to our original takes on it. Um, But yeah, I feel like we're getting slightly ahead of ourselves. So before we properly get into the discussion of this movie, I just want to give a bit of background info about this podcast to anyone who may not have listened to it before. So Ollie and I are old friends who decided to compile a list of our favourite childhood movies and revisit them one by one to see if they still hold up to scrutiny. So we have some loose rules for our selection process. The movies have to bear some kind of significance to our childhood or early adolescence, and we only try to select movies that we have not watched since that time. So with that out of the way, Ollie, why don't you tell us a little bit about Matilda. Okay, so it was released in 1996 in the US. Uh, it was a summer movie, so it was released in August um, for a budget of 36 million US dollars, um, mm. which I think is quite expensive. It's fairly expensive, but at the same time, that's one of the lower budget movies that we've covered. Most of the movies we've covered have been 80 mil plus, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got a relatively modest cast and uh, obviously starring Danny DeVito as the faceless narrator of the story but also as Mr. Wormwood and it's also his production company that financed it and he is also the director. I know I was I was surprised by that when I saw him come up as the director in the credits I was like this is just great it just yeah. made me appreciate it on a whole other level. It made me appreciate Danny DeVito on a, I mean I appreciate that man endlessly already Yeah, um, but it just adds to his oh, what, what was the word? It adds to his Joie de vivre. 
<laughs> yeah, adds to his aura, <laughs> I yeah, guess. Yeah, he has directed stuff previously. Um, nothing to great critical acclaim, to be fair, but he's tinkered behind the scenes as well as being in front of the camera as well. It's unfortunate though. This movie, like I said, it cost thirty six to make, but it only grossed thirty three. Ooh, um, so it lost it lost money. That's so surprising. Yeah. That's genuinely really surprising because I remembered this movie because obviously we spoke a little bit about the legacy of this movie. But I swear mm. I remembered this movie being, like, just widely popular with yeah. loads of people. It's strange because, like, it's a good film. Mm. <laughs> it's like it's yeah. a good kids movie. And it's in the same vein as a lot of other movies released around this time for children. Like, it has the same sort of darkness to it that, like, Mouse Hunt does, for example. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's strange that it's just not got any critical acclaim. I mean, half the reason might be, I don't know if you've seen any of the promotional material for this film, mm. uh, but the poster looks like a pile of shit. It looks like oh. it's you know been made in 13 seconds on you know like a 1995 version of microsoft paint yeah so i don't know how much money they put into marketing um and sometimes with independent production companies like devito's might have something to do with the reason why it wasn't very popular it just goes to show you how marketing can really make or break a film exactly yeah exactly um so yeah like i said previously it stars danny devito i think the main person that we need to talk about with this movie though is pam ferris as miss trunchbull 100 (laughs) percent absolutely flawless yeah um and then it's what's the name of the uh, the titular matilda i think it's mara wilson is the actress Mm. who plays who plays matilda she's not done much after this movie either has she apparently she's in bojack horseman Oh yeah, she plays like a uh, sort of a more minor character in yeah, Bojack Horseman. Jill I think Pill. it's a sp- yes, the spider character. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. But yeah, nothing particularly noteworthy that I can see here. So yeah, that's that. In terms of plot summaries. Mm, yes, please give me your back of the box. Matilda is a gifted child. She loves reading and learning. For the most part, the adults in her life are unkind, bitter and oppressive. But this is just the thing that sparks Matilda's most unique abilities. After all, when a person is bad, that person needs to be taught a lesson. Yes, very good. Very good. Hitting the themes of the movie hard there. I like it. I like I was, that's it. what I was gunning for, because I think it's got like quite a strong morality, this film. Mm. Um, so I was trying to shoehorn that into my into my summary. And my one liner is uh, a dummy's guide on how to psychologically abuse a preteen witch. See, I thought you were going to say a dummy's guide for how to psychologically abuse a nasty headmistress. Well, I guess it works both ways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, her powers come out, don't they, when she gets like treated badly, which is an interesting dynamic to think about. But yeah. So Matilda then, Paddy, why is it on the list for you? As we sort of hinted at earlier, it was just one of those movies that really resonated with me as a kid. Um, I watched it a lot actually. I think part of the reason for that was that I was absolutely obsessed with Roald Dahl when I was a kid. I read so many of his books. Mm. Roald Dahl books have always been like surefire properties to make, you know, really good movie adaptations. There's obviously a long list of Roald Dahl movie adaptations that are really effective. You know, the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Mm -hmm. Matilda, The Witches. BFG. BFG. You know, I think they are super well suited to adaptation and this movie was no exception. Um, So yeah, I read the book as a kid, absolutely loved it. Um, I think 
it's a rare case where I used to be a bit of a snob as a kid where if I read a book, I would almost refuse to watch the film because I wanted to retain my, you know, enjoyment and my imagination of the book. Such a hipster. Even <laughs> at a young age, such yeah. a hipster. Mate, I didn't watch the Harry Potter movies until I was in my 20s because <laughs> I was so adamant that they wouldn't be as good as the books and I didn't want to spoil my enjoyment of them. Like, we watched Harry Potter in uh, primary school in, like, you know, one of those lessons where you just watch a movie. Yeah. We watched Harry Potter and I shit you not, I kept my eyes closed the entire time <laughs> just so it wouldn't, like, ruin Fuck my sake. enjoyment of the book. I know, I'm so insufferable. It's absolutely <laughs> terrible. That teacher sitting in the front of the room, like, what is that kid doing? Just yeah. sitting there with his eyes closed, like, and his arms folded. Yeah, yeah. With a look of grim determination and smug satisfaction on his face. Like, what is wrong with that child? Um, yeah, no, so I read the book, loved it, watched the movie, loved it. And this one's actually a bit of a cheat because I have revisited it in recent yeah. years and I'm talking yeah. in the last four years. However... I was admittedly incredibly hungover when I did so. So my adult memories of this movie were hazy at best, I would say. Yeah, fair enough. Um, the main things that I remembered from my childhood memories of the movie were the chokey, obviously, every mm -hmm. child's worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. um, so the chokey is basically like this... Um, it's like an iron, iron Maiden, yeah. Yeah, it's like an Iron Maiden that Miss Trunchbull chucks the kids in whenever she's had enough of them and just leaves them in there for an indeterminate amount of time and <laughs> is absolutely horrifying. Um, I remembered the Bruce Bogtrotter cake scene, which is, of course, iconic. I think that's probably yeah. the most referenced scene from the movie and mm -hmm. the one that people talk about the most. And I remember being a bit freaked out by the Magnus scene so obviously a plot thread in the movie is that Miss Trunchbull murdered her brother-in-law, murdered uh, Miss Honey's father, and uh, he was called Magnus. And at one point in the movie, towards the end of the movie, Matilda convinces Miss Trunchbull that she's being haunted by Magnus mm. through like the use of her magic and manipulating objects and stuff like that. And I just remember that freaking me out. It was almost like there's this little slice of the movie that's almost like a horror movie. That stuck with me. It's also at night, isn't it? It's the, like the only bit that's filmed at night from what yeah. I can remember. Matilda's using her like Jedi mind powers to manipulate all of these objects. Like, how fucking terrifying is it when she levitates that doll off the bed? Yeah. And there's just this horrible China-faced doll like floating through the air towards her. It's absolutely horrifying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, it's a testament to the movie. It's a really effective horror set piece and that just stuck with me. Yeah. So it was, yeah, the chokey, Bruce Bogtrotter eating a massive cake and any scenes involving the fake haunting of Miss Trunchbull, I remembered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, what about you? Why did the movie make the list for you? Uh, well, yeah, similar reasons, really. I used to read a lot of Roald Dahl. Interestingly, never read Matilda, though. Mm. But Matilda, the movie, was always on at my house. Mm. I loved watching this when I was a kid. And it's one of those films that I think is, a, like you said, a really effective adaptation. And because Roald Dahl writes such vivid... They're almost caricatures, aren't they? Particularly mm. the villains in his stories are often really really eccentric and over the top mm. and that lends itself really nicely to to cinema so i think that's one of the main reasons why it's so magnetic this film is because yeah. the villains in it are just brilliant mm. um, and actually most of the stuff that i remembered from this film revolve around the two well i guess you could say the three the three villainous adults so the mum and dad of the Werman family and agatha trunchbull who is just incredible and like iconic i know we'll, we'll talk about 
about it shortly, but just like some of the lines that Pam Ferris is throwing out in this film are just brilliant. And like a lot of yeah. a lot of that is what I remember is it's very quotable. The screenplay is really quotable in this movie. So it's just remembering those little bits with Trunchbull basically abusing children is what I remember as a kid. <laughs> just verbally savaging children <laughs> in the so most good. eloquent way possible. Yeah, so good. Um, so I feel like we're already falling all over ourselves to praise this movie. <laughs> so we may as well, which is, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, it's such a lovely feeling. <laughs> refreshing, isn't it? It's so refreshing. <laughs> so why don't we just move straight into talking about the things that we enjoyed about this movie? Okay, sounds good. All right, Ollie, so we already kind of started touching on this, but what were some things that you enjoyed about the movie? Well, I think we should start with the main one, and that is Pam Ferris as Miss Trunchbull, um, which I think is an absolutely glorious casting choice yeah. by Danny DeVito. Like, Pam Ferris doesn't really do movies. She's like a BBC queen. Mm. She's been in so much stuff for the BBC, and I think she's quite um, theatrical as well, done a lot of stuff with theatre, but not really mm. too much in terms of film. So how this came about, I don't know, but I'm fucking glad it did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's honestly... I think generally the casting throughout this movie is absolutely stellar it's yeah. like i mean as someone who has read the books it is literally like so the illustrator of um roald dahl books was quentin blake quentin and blake, it is literally yeah. like watching a quentin blake <laughs> illustration leap off the page and <laughs> yeah. come to life their mannerisms are all so exaggerated and all their features are exaggerated by the cinematography as well yeah um and everyone especially the antagonists like you say everyone is absolutely committing to these performances yeah. and that could not be more true of uh, Miss Trunchbull she's just phenomenal in this movie all the way through well I think the th main thing that I like about her is the venom with which she delivers some of the insults in this movie yeah. like yeah. they're so eloquently spoken but it's just they're so vitriolic the way that she speaks it's brilliant but um, I've got a list of like some of my favourite quotes from her so I think it'll yeah. be worth going through some of these Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah the, the one at the end that I particularly like is where she finds Matilda's ribbon yeah, um, so yeah. that's sort of like the it's sort of like the clue that lets her know that Matilda's been in her home that's right yeah yeah and uh, I just like the bit where she's like the demented drooling slime breath little Lilliputian who owns this disgusting <laughs> ribbon and then spits on the ribbon yeah. like the demented drooling slime breath little Lilliputian that yeah. is absolutely quality I had to look up what Lilliputian meant as well and is it, it like is... A, what is it like a boil or something no, a Lilliputian just means something that is small or insignificant. <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. Yeah. So good. I think one of my favourite ones is when she just calls Matilda a little piss worm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The newt, you pissworm! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like, villainous sack of gobslime. Honestly, you could go on and on and on. There's oh, just yeah. so many Endlessly quotable. Endlessly yeah. quotable. The other one that I like is, um, sit down, you squirming worm of vomit. <laughs> yes. I think that's particularly good. Yeah. But I, I also like the fact that a lot of her lines that are a little bit more subtle indicate the contradictions in the character. So yeah. she's a she's a headmistress of a school. She absolutely fucking hates children. 
children like mm. and i just like i can't remember who she's speaking to but she says they're all mistakes children filthy nasty things glad i never was one <laughs> yeah. it's so brilliant it's like her enunciation of every single word it's like said with the highest level of elocution yeah you can hear every consonant you can feel every drop of spit that flies out of these children as they're being berated yeah i think that's got probably something to do with pam ferris as a a stage performer right because that's the sort of performance that you would expect in a theater and i think because it's a role dial novel i think it just translates perfectly Mm. her physical acting and like physical comedy involved with the character as well is brilliant Mm. and the way she just conducts herself generally is fantastic the fact like little character moments where she she literally lifts her car up because it's broken down she lifts it up and pushes it back to her house it's just showing like how much of an absolute behemoth this woman is and it's brilliant i think my favorite moment is when (laughs) my favorite little miss trunchbull character beat is like matilda is like sneaking up to her house to try and steal the doll like miss honey's doll back yeah so she's sneaking up to the house and you just see miss trunchbull silhouetted against the window <laughs> sharpening her javelin and because that's what she does on an evening she eats chocolates that she herself deems to be much too good for children yeah. like she doesn't even like chocolate per se it's just that the more chocolate she eats the less chocolate there is for children to eat yeah, yeah, so she's yeah. just like maliciously eating chocolate whilst sharpening a javelin and that's how she <laughs> spends her free time it's so absolutely good. amazing but yeah I think you're absolutely right when Whenever Miss Trunchbull is on screen, I am entertained. I also think the way her character is introduced is just perfect. It is picture perfect. So the way she's introduced is all the kids are playing in, for some reason, the world's dustiest school playground. (laughs) And Miss Trunchbull enters the yard. And the way she enters the yard, she's like framed. It's like a villain in a cowboy movie entering a saloon for the first time. Because there's this like close up of the swinging doors. And then it focuses on her hands and her belt buckle and like the riding crop that Mm. she's like uses to scare the kids. Isn't her belt buckle like a monster's mouth with like sharp teeth? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and you don't see her for the longest time. She enters the scene through the door and it's focusing, like it's all these close-ups that are focusing on the door and her fist and her belt buckle and all this. And you don't see her face. You just see her figure, mostly from the waist down. And she's defined by like her intimidating stature and her voice. And it makes her feel so much more imposing. And then the first time you see her face, she's like pushing through a crowd of kids. Yeah, She moves towards the camera in this intense close-up and just goes, ah, fresh meat. She's like a shark (laughs) circling her prey. It's absolutely brilliant. It's such a strong character introduction. Well, you you alluded to it earlier, but I think the direction of this movie is really, really good. Like, DeVito nails the power dynamic between children and adults. And a lot of the time, there's like, there's a lot of these sickening, low-angled close-ups. You know when you want to try and do, like, a really shocking selfie, and you place the camera, like, just under your chin, so you can see straight up your nose and you look down at the camera. A lot of the close-ups of the adult characters are like that and it makes them look like grotesque. Yeah, Um, yeah. And I think that's a really interesting tool that he uses pretty much throughout the film. And I think, yeah, that just serves as an emphasis on how horrible a lot of the adult characters are. 
Interestingly, he doesn't use that technique with Miss Honey, who is the sympathetic adult, but with all of the others, like Trunchbull and the Wormwoods, they're filmed in such a way to make them look really grotesque and horrible and off-putting. And I think that's a really interesting sort of layer to the theme of the film. And yeah, I just think there's lots of really interesting uses of camera Mm. that are really to the credit of the cinematographer and and to the direction as well. Yeah. And I think you wanted to mention as well, didn't you, something about the mise-en-scene, particularly like set design and costuming? Yeah. To go on to speak about the set design and the mise-en-scene, I think the thing that I love most about it is how the sets represent the characters really strongly. So for example, at the Wormwood house, everything in the house is really gaudy and over the top. (laughs) That bedroom is next level kitsch. Yeah, it's like ridiculous. Like I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. It's disgraceful. Yeah. Uh, But it sums up, it sums up their characters perfectly. Yeah. They're basically all, um, the Wormwoods are essentially portrayed to be really selfish, materialistic, vain, and the house just really sums this up really nicely. So like you said, everything's really gaudy, everything's really kitsch, and there's a lot of gold, but like, you know, really (laughs) like fake, trashy looking gold. So they've got a gold phone, they've got gold mirror frames, they've got fur rugs, they've got silk drapes. And there's also a nice little detail where for some reason, there's a lot of things that are made out of dice. So there's an alarm clock that's surrounded by dice. There's like lamps that are in the shape of dice. So the set design remains really consistent with the character. Um, And this is continued when you first go into Trunchbull's office. So her office feels really like Victorian. It's a lot of iron and wood and like everything that she uses in the office is like really outdated and old fashioned. Like even the darts that she's throwing at the pictures of the children (laughs) in her office are like, they're like these Victorian era you know, Olympic darts or whatever. So her office feels like really imposing and Victorian and grim. And then her home is the same. Like her home is just this huge Gothic manor that's fallen into disrepair and has like weeds growing all over mm-hmm. it. And it's almost like straight out of a horror movie. Mm. And I think the most interesting example of how the set design is so reflective of character and also so malleable, depending on which character enters the space, is actually Miss Honey's classroom. <laughs> yeah. So when you're first introduced to Miss Honey, you know, you've been in the Wormwood household and you've been in Miss Trunchbull's office, which is like really horrible. And as soon as you enter Miss Honey's classroom, you just, the first thing you see is the blackboard and behind it, it just says, word of the day, butterfly. And it's <laughs> and it's like really warmly and there's loads of bright colours and children's drawings. And it's immediately hammering home that contrast between her and Trunchbull. But the most interesting part about this is there's a point in the movie where Trunchbull is going to enter the classroom And basically, they have the classroom set up. You know, it's almost like a speakeasy, you know, like a bar, an illegal bar in the Prohibition era where they'd have secret beer pumps that could just be concealed beneath the surface of the bar immediately. Mm. Or like, you know, little features of the room that are easily tucked away and concealed in secret cupboards and stuff like that. So as soon as Trunchbull's going to come in, they're all like, put away anything colourful because, you know, she's like a bull. And the colour just infuriates her. (laughs) And so the board no longer contains a picture of a butterfly. They cover it with something that says, if you are having fun, fun you are not learning Um, the lighting's also completely different it's muted and grey and I think they had like a list of like their ABCs or something that they were learning and then they they cover that up with a list of rules. Yeah on both sides of the board as well and they're different rules there's like two lists of like 20 rules Yeah (laughs) one of them is no pigtails which calls back to the Amanda (laughs) scene at the beginning Um, so the set is literally transformed before your eyes to reflect Trunchbull's entrance it's like a stage play it's Mm. like changing the set of a play and it really 
emphasizes the importance this movie places on set design and how it relates to character and how these spaces are used to create contrast between characters. And I just love that. They didn't need to do that. And it's not an immediately obvious thing, but it just really helps you to understand these characters. Yeah, I mean, even Miss Honey's cottage that she rents for $50 a month, apparently, from a nice <laughs> farmer, um, yeah. is just like, yeah, like a one-bedroom cottage with a thatched roof, and it's got, like, you know, an abundance of really lovely flowers in their garden out the front. So, yeah, it's just a really good reflection of the characters like there's this quaint whimsical mm. authenticity to Miss Honey yeah. and then you contrast that with yeah like you said the decaying old fashioned backwards looking mise-en-scene of Trunchbull and then this sort of like overly modern televised gaudiness of the Wormwoods mm. and I think it's just a really interesting creative and artistic decision to do that and like you said it's subtle and it's not necessary but it just adds a richness to the characterization, which is mm. really charming yeah, and to the world they inhabit. Yeah. And I think this is very emblematic of movies of this era, because I think we've mentioned this about previous movies that we've covered, but it's one of those movies, it's set in a very ambiguous time period. Yeah. There's not really a lot of stuff to tell you when the movie is set, which allows the environments to exist in service of character rather than an arbitrary time period. Yeah, well, I think I think uh, Mouse Hunt did it. Babe did it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how you describe it. I can't really put my finger on it, but there's just a very distinctive visual style with these movies that are sort of released around this period. Mm. Like It's like gothic light. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's really nice revisiting that as an adult because it's just a rich world that's built. And like you said, it's timeless. Yeah. Which is really in the movie's credit, particularly when we're doing something like this, when we're looking at it from a modern perspective. It's not set in the 90s, and I think that puts it above a lot of other movies of that time period. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, was there anything else that you particularly enjoyed about the movie? Um, I mean, it's probably worth just briefly mentioning the practical effects yeah. that are reasonably well executed, I think, um, particularly on such a low budget. It's very, very sparing with its CGI. I mean, I think a CGI carrot um, and a CGI deck of cards flying around the room. Mm. Um, but other than that, they're all like, you know, like um, reversing footage to make it look like something's flying through the air mm. um, and, and bits and pieces like that. Traditional special effects to make her Jedi powers seem realistic, which I quite liked. There's a bit of stop motion as well, isn't there? Yeah. And in fact, actually, when she's testing out her Jedi powers, and I'm glad we're calling them her Jedi powers, I think we should continue (laughs) to call them that. Um, But like, there's a scene where she first gets fully to grips with using magic, and it's almost like like she's just making everything in her flat move and dance around and fly around her. And there is a little bit of CGI being used. I think there's some playing cards that are flying around her, and Mm -hmm. they're definitely CGI. But for the most part, a lot of the way that the household item are animated they're either mechanical or they've been animated using stop motion and weirdly enough it made me think of two things it firstly it made me think of Fantasia that's the obvious comparison mm-hmm. um, when Mickey Mouse is starting to animate loads of different like household items to do the cleaning for him and it's this huge musical number as they're all dancing around him but um, it actually made me think of the scene from Evil Dead 2 have <laughs> seen Evil Dead 2 yeah 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 so in Evil Dead 2 where Ash <laughs> goes insane and all the inanimate objects start moving and laughing at him yeah the moose head <laughs> yeah 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 and it's also done using stop motion and practical effects and it looks great and i think this scene was strangely reminiscent of that actually yeah yeah i can see that almost like a poltergeist is manipulating the environment yeah and it's like there's a sort of a theme of loneliness in this movie and how matilda feels quite alone and in 
using her magic, she's not only animating these inanimate objects, but they seem to have like a friendliness towards her, like they almost become her friends as well. Yeah. So it's just really interesting. And I think generally speaking, I think this will be the last thing on my list of stuff that I want to talk about, um, you know, that I enjoyed about this movie. But I think generally speaking, as a whole, this movie works, you know, as a whole narrative, uh, beginning, middle and end, three act narrative, I think it works. But even aside from that, there are some really entertaining and memorable, like individual set pieces that serve the wider narrative and themes, but also are just really entertaining in their own right. Mm -hmm. The set piece, obviously, I've touched on it a little bit earlier, but the set piece that stuck out to me the most is the Bruce Bogtrotter cake scene. Can we just focus on that scene just for a little (laughs) bit? Because I think it is absolutely perfect. You could talk to anyone about this movie who's seen it once as a child. They might not remember anything about the movie and they will remember this scene. And I just think it is executed so, so well. And it's like the pinnacle of the children's solidarity in the movie. (laughs) I think it's such a great moment because obviously in the scene, what's happened is Bruce Bogtrotter has stolen a bit of Trunchbull's cake. Stolen her personal snack. Yeah, he's stolen her personal snack. And then she gets him up on stage and essentially force feeds him another whole cake. Yeah. And it gets to a point he's trying to eat this cake and he looks like the child looks dead. He looks like he is. (laughs) about to die and then obviously Matilda gets up and he's like come on Bruce you could do it and then the whole class gets up and like starts cheering him on and encouraging him to eat the cake and you just you almost feel like punching the air with them it's such a (laughs) triumphant moment in a lesser movie this would have been used to just mine some cheap fat shaming jokes you know because he's he's an overweight kid and in a lesser movie it would have just been used to make fun of him because he's fat but even though his weight is commented on and I suppose it is used for comedic effect in certain regards like his weight and his gluttony, every other character is 100% behind him. And Mm. I just absolutely love that. And like, you know, he goes from struggling to eat the cake to getting the support of his friends to finish the cake. (laughs) And then he licks the plate at the end. You know, it's just like, what an absolute hero. My favorite moment in that sequence is the very end though, where, yeah, he's triumphant. He's finished the cake (laughs) and he's like holding the empty plate above his head like a trophy. And then Trudgeville just fucking (laughs) slams it down on his head. And everyone goes, dead silent and sits down it's so good she just like regains control by just smashing this giant glass plate over this poor kid's head but then when she does that it makes him burp and then he loses control again because everyone in the class just starts laughing hysterically so good it's so good it is absolutely brilliant to be honest with you ollie like i have so much written down here and we've sort of moved through this section fairly efficiently i think and we could go on forever i want to say before we move on to the next section that I really enjoyed this movie. I really, really did. From start to finish, it was just a lovely experience and it was an absolute joy to revisit. But unfortunately, we've come to that time. I think we've (laughs) basically said all we can say about the specific positive aspects of the movie. Mm -hmm. Shall we move on to the section where we talk about the things that we enjoyed a little bit less about the movie? Okie dokie. Amanda Thripp. Yes, Mr. Trunchbull? What are those? You mean my pigtails? Are you a pig, Amanda? Do I allow pigs in my school? 
Okay, so um, we've spent a good amount of time looking at the good stuff of the movie, and let's be honest, there's an abundance of it. Was there anything that you think should fit into the bad stuff section? Yeah, so I've got a couple of throwaway things and then one main thematic issue that I had a problem with. So just the throwaway things first. Firstly, the narration in the movie, I could have maybe... I would have either changed or done away with completely. So the movie's narrated by Danny DeVito, who obviously also plays Mr. Wormwood. And the narration is really on Matilda's side and is also, like, a bit of a comforting presence in the movie. It's very relaxing. It's like storybook narration, you know? Mm -hmm. And so having the same actor be at once a comforting and antagonistic presence in the movie feels a little bit incongruous. I mean, yeah, I'd, I agree. I think, like, it sort of works, it works and it doesn't, because obviously it's based on a book, and I think, like, having a narrator sort of ties quite nicely into that feeling that you're being read a story, which I like. Mm. It works a lot better, in my opinion, than the chapter designations in something like Babe. Yeah. I think it's far more fluid and flexible than that, which I think is more interesting. I think as well, like, is there enough of a distinction between DeVito as the narrator and him as Wormwood? Like, obviously you can tell it's him because his voice is quite distinctive, but I think he does a reasonably good job of differentiating between the two. But I would be in agreement with you saying that I don't really like having the narrator in there anyway. Hmm. I think he does do a reasonable job of differentiating his narrator voice from his Wormwood voice. Yeah, for sure. But I think it just struck me as an odd decision. It would make more sense for Miss Honey to be the narrator I think, if anybody. Yeah, 100%. 100% it would make more sense for Miss Honey to be the narrator. I mean, imagine if this movie was narrated by the woman that played Miss Trunchbull, you know? It would yeah. be even more incongruous, and it sort of, it felt a little bit like that to me. Okay, well, what about, okay, so hypothetically, you get, you're allowed to have a third party narrator in. Which actor would you hire to be the narrator? Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Okay, next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not even a question. <laughs> Can you imagine that? It would be amazing. It would elevate this movie even higher than it already is. I would cast Jason Statham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking Sylvester Stallone. Arnie. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, that would be amazing because him and Danny DeVito have a real connection as well, so that would have just yeah. been too good. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, Arnie. I think Arnie's the one. Arnie's the one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, that was just a, um, a little throwaway thing. Another little throwaway thing is I thought the FBI stuff was kind of pointless. So there's a little narrative mm. thread that runs throughout the movie where it becomes increasingly obvious that these two bungling FBI agents are sort of sat outside the Wormwood home monitoring what Mr. Wormwood's doing because obviously he's involved in some kind of criminal activity. And every time they kind of cut to those two actors or devoted screen time to those two actors, it sort of felt like it was just derailing the film ever so slightly. Yeah, And they yeah. focus on them a little bit too much in the second half for my liking. I think what they were there for was to emphasise the stupidity of the Wormwoods, but mm. I think that's done enough elsewhere for them not to be needed. Yeah. Because, like, obviously the joke is that Matilda knows very obviously, and the audience knows very obviously, that they're not speedboat salesmen, <laughs> whereas the two Wormwoods are convinced that they are. Yeah. So I think they're used to sort of emphasise their stupidity and their ineptitude, but like I said, I think there are plenty of other opportunities that the film relishes to demonstrate that they're stupid and a bit inept. Yeah, and even though I think it's a relatively pointless part of the film, even that 
is played for excellent comedic effect at points. So at one point, Mrs. Wormwood invites the FBI agents into the house because she's like flirting with them and she's like, you know, uh, really into them and she just thinks they're these like hot... Um, you know, speedboat salesman. And as far as, you know, from an audience perspective, these just look like totally regular, normal guys. But when Danny DeVito gets home, he just won't stop talking about how his wife is just inviting male models into the home. <laughs> it's just yeah. really ridiculous because they just look like ordinary dudes. Well, compared to DeVito, let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think that's sort of like a nice little bit of self-deprecating humour from him. Like, from his perspective, they're these, like, Adonises that his wife is flirting with when they're just really just these ineffectual cop schlubs basically (laughs) but yeah i mean generally speaking though i thought the fbi stuff was a little bit pointless it wasn't really necessary I think the main issue I had with the movie in terms of an actual issue that I think hasn't aged particularly well is the way it presents a supposed feminine ideal. Basically, throughout the movie, we're presented with three very different versions of femininity through the characters of Mrs. Wormwood, Miss Trunchbull, and Miss Honey. And these are all contrasted with each other to present Miss Honey as a feminine ideal. And Mrs. Wormwood and Miss Trunchbull are framed in a manner that contradicts this ideal. But rather than presenting their own unconventional femininity as subversive or in a subversive manner, the movie uses it to villainize them. And I think what this ends up doing is it kind of solidifies these dated stereotypes, uh, gender stereotypes around an ideal version of femininity. So for example, Miss Trunchbull, she's demonized because obviously she's horrible to children and she says nasty, horrible things to them and she's a nasty person. But part of her demonization is through her outwardly masculine presentation and her athleticism. Mm -hmm. And in a weird way over the years, and I've noticed this through like trawling various internet threads, she's become somewhat of an icon. People actually really love Trunchbull because A, the performance is fantastic, but B, she does represent a subversive form of femininity. Mm. She's outwardly masculine. She doesn't wear makeup. She's very athletic. And she's also a proud spinster. Yeah, She's not married. She's revolted at the concept of marriage. There's that great line where Amanda Thrift is reciting a poem (laughs) to demonstrate how they learned to spell difficulty and she's like Mrs. D, Mrs. I. (laughs) Why are all these women married? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's so brilliant. It's such a great line. But then at the same time, it's the fact that she is taking a stand against these sort of more traditional ideas of femininity is used as a way of villainizing her. And I think they missed an opportunity to do something a little bit more subversive there. And like similarly with Mrs. Wormwood, she is also used to represent a different kind of femininity. She's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So... Mrs. Wormwood is shown to be hyper-feminine, but she's vapid and frivolous and materialistic and neglectful and vain, and most importantly, not maternal in any way. Mm. She's not maternal. Now, if you contrast these two slightly unusual versions of traditional femininity, and you contrast them with Miss Honey, Miss Honey is, she wears makeup, unlike Miss Trunchbull, but it's like subtle and restrained, and she's also very maternal Mm -hmm. and very nurturing and very encouraging. So she's able to embody this sort of like, you know, this maternal version of femininity that's also humble and restrained and meek, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think 
it would have just been a bit more interesting had they played around with these ideas of femininity a bit more. I'll probably talk about this a bit more in the changes I'd make to the movie, rather than being like, okay, so these are the ideas that we associate, the positive ideas that we normally associate with femininity. Let's attach them to the positive female role model in the movie. And these are the negative ideas we normally associate with traditional femininity. Let's attach those to the negative female role models in the movie. And that just felt a little bit regressive, I'll be honest with you. Uh, But that's basically it. That's the only thing that really stood out to me in the movie that I think could have been done differently. And I'll expand on that a bit in my changes. Um, But what about you? Was there anything that you enjoyed a bit less about the movie? It sort of ties into what you were just saying there. I think like maybe on a more simplistic level, the way I read the two characters is that, yeah, maternity is a trait that's triumphed above everything else. So the fact that the two female villains don't have any maternal instinct whatsoever and is seen as detrimental, whereas Miss Honey is almost like an extreme maternal stereotype. Mm. Um, and I think like the main criticism I had on a, on a, I guess on a more simplistic level is that it's just a little bit wacky round the head obvious that mm. they're meant to be depicted as very different. Even just in their names right I know this is obviously a children's book but like the fact that she's called Miss Honey and all the connotations of like sweetness and kindness that are associated with that and then you've got Trunchbull and yeah. Wormwood it's a very obvious and deliberate contrast that the film is making and it's sort of yeah it sort of slips into stereotypes that are on the borderline of being two dimensional yeah they're rescued by brilliant performances but I think if there was one character who I found maybe a little bit irritating, it was Miss Honey, just because the character she has to play is so overtly kind and friendly. Yeah, saccharine. Yeah, and she's just on the borderline of being a little bit dull, particularly in comparison to the other adult characters who are all played brilliantly. Yeah. Um, There was actually something I wanted to ask you as part of this section. So, you know, just pulling the curtain back a bit, obviously, you, sir, you are a teacher. I am indeed. Yes, you are. A very good one, I've I've been led to believe. And (laughs) um, (laughs) so I just wanted to ask you, as a teacher, how did you perceive the relationship between between Miss Honey and Matilda. Well, I mean, all of the adult-child relationships in this movie are slightly strange, because you would argue that, yeah, like, on the one hand, Trunchbull's behaviour towards children would have her in prison before she could even, you know, lift up her javelin to throw it. <laughs> but yeah, like, the whole, the whole, um, would you like to come back to my house for tea type yeah. thing that Miss Honey... Well, Miss Honey very quickly takes Matilda under her wing, doesn't she? Matilda, yeah. I think Matilda does a, a long mathematical sum very quickly and it's from that point on that Miss Honey decides that, you know, she's going to be a mum to this child. Mm. It's a weird one. It feels weird watching it, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think like the strange resolution to their story is that Miss Honey adopts Matilda yeah. with, the, with the adoption papers that she got from the library. The adoption papers that she's kept in her bag since she was four or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair play to her because I went out of that household quick sharp as well. But yeah, I feel very cynical talking about it like that. But yeah, it was slightly off-putting. But I think like all of the adult-child relationships in this movie are fucking off-putting, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I guess the reason I wanted to ask you about it is because, okay, obviously if it's framed in a certain way, then it's a little bit inappropriate. But, you know, it's obviously down to the subjectivity of the viewer if they choose to frame it that way. But I guess the reason I wanted to ask you about it is because it's not only a weird, you know, 
potential power imbalance or abuse of power or whatever. But it's also like she's choosing to be this maternal and loving and adoptive presence to Matilda, but not to any of the other kids in the class. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's like, you know, fuck whatever problems you guys are going to. This one's special. So she's coming home with me for tea. And I, I just thought that was, it just sat a little bit strangely with me. But I think the movie does a very good job of justifying that because as we sort of touched on earlier in the discussion, this is essentially, you know, a children's power fantasy, an escapist fantasy for children, you know, which is what a lot of Roald Dahl books are, Yeah, you know? And so I think the fact that Miss Honey goes to Matilda's house to tell her parents just how special she is and then decides she's so special that she wants to be a mum to her, that is very much in line with the context of the movie. Mm. Like, if you look at it as an adult, and rather than taking what's happening at face value, I don't view this movie as a series of events that happened like it isn't something, I don't suspend my disbelief to watch this movie. I view it as a child's imagination of an ideal situation. Mm. It is a children's fantasy Mm. and I'm able to look at it through that lens and things like the relationship with Miss Honey and Matilda make a bit more sense to me. But because obviously you have a bit more of an in-depth understanding of how delicate those boundaries are between teacher and student that's the only reason why i wanted to bring it up with you yeah well i think the main thing i guess you could pull up on it is that the whole sort of philosophy of teaching and education is that you know it's equal opportunities for everyone regardless of background Mm. and uh (laughs) this is not an example of equal opportunities because matilda gets far too much attention yeah Uh, yeah. particularly as well considering she's like a child prodigy genius so she probably doesn't need the attention as much as some other kids in the class who maybe can't do math sums in the same way yeah yeah it's an interesting one but i just like like i said in my one line summary like kids are not treated very nicely or are treated inappropriately by pretty much every adult character in the, in the in the film it's too far removed from from real life to have a proper serious discussion about yeah. it but yeah it's 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 interesting nonetheless yeah it is interesting and um just speaking of the treatment of characters in this movie just one final point i kind of want to wrap this little section up on if you didn't have anything else to add or did i mean did you have anything else to add not really i mean like a lot of children's movies it's got a very unambiguous and strong moral message to it mm. and i think again like for an adult you don't need to have it battered over your head Mm. Um, which I think this film does at at points. It makes it very, very obvious what it's trying to say thematically. Cool. That all makes sense. And there's actually just one final little note I want to end this section on. It's just a minor thing. But you know at the end where Miss Trunchbull is being like brutally pelted with food by all the children? (laughs) Is it me? And again, I don't know if this is just because I loved the performance so much. I enjoyed her character so much. But as she is literally quivering in the hallway, being pelted with food like some kind of social pariah, did you feel a little bit sorry for her? <laughs> um, no, not really. I mean, the, 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 the main reason is because it is heavily suggested that she's not only a child abuser, but also a murderer. Oh, so it's sort of like, oh, Christ. okay, I mean, if you get food thrown at you for murder, then you know what? I, I think that's a small price to pay. Christ, we didn't even touch on the murder themes. I know. Murder and suicide that seem to crop up a lot in these child movies that we've been studying. Yeah. But yeah, I think her comeuppance is justified completely. Hmm. I guess it's something about it was just like, she's a bully throughout the movie. You know, she's a bully. But the narrative of the movie at the end, it just made me feel a little uncomfortable because it was like, you know what you need to do with bullies? Bully them, you know? (laughs) 
what you need to do with bullies is find their weakness and exploit it just like a bully does yeah exactly (laughs) it it felt a little bit you know like the bit with bruce bogtrotter that felt like a triumphant uprising that the children were all going through together (laughs) the ending of the movie didn't really feel like a triumphant uprising it felt less like justice and more like a hazing ritual yeah it was very game of thrones Cersei Lannister, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like, shame. Yeah. Shame. <laughs> shame. But I guess what that really is, that really is a testament to Pam Ferris's performance and how enjoyable it is because she's able to take this horrible character and still leads you to feel empathy towards her. Yeah. And yeah. I think that really, really is to her credit. It was, it was just a magnificent performance. But yeah, I think that's just about everything I wanted to talk about. So if you don't have anything else to add, maybe we can move on to discuss the changes we'd like to make to this movie. Let's Hey, you! Hey, we're leaving. Come on, let's go. Get in the car. Hurry up. Let's wrap up these cookies. Come on, we're leaving. Now, I'd be happy to walk home. We're moving to Guam. Okay, Paddy, so you're given the script. <laughs> DeVito waddles into your office and drops the drops the script in front of you and he says that he wants to direct this. Are there any changes you would make? What changes do you make? Yeah, so I think this sort of goes back to what I was saying about the presentation of femininity in the movie. I think the only real change I would make, apart from getting rid of the FBI characters because I think they're a bit pointless, the only real change I would make is I would shuffle around some of these gender traits. So, for example, I think it would be really interesting if Miss Honey was presented as a little bit less like a, a, you know, Madonna-esque feminine stereotype. And conversely, Miss Trunchbull, rather than just being hyper-masculine in almost every facet of her being, maybe treat her more like a um, a Professor Umbridge from Harry Potter character. Because Professor Umbridge is a quite a similar character to Miss Trunchbull, but the difference is she is, like, very feminine. Yeah. And that probably has its own problems, but, like, they don't have to overload her with masculinity in order to present her as being villainous. It's almost mm. like the fact that she's able to be so sweet is part of what makes her so unsettling as a character. Mm -hmm. She's able Mm -hmm. to be so sweet in her outward appearance and in her mannerisms. A wolf in sheep's clothing basically. Exactly, exactly. And I just think it could have been, obviously they're presenting these very, very different ideas about femininity and there was a real missed opportunity to do something a little bit more subversive. And I think it's just a little bit lazy that the tyrannical, evil headmistress happens to also be masculine, butch, athletic, and you know, doesn't wear any makeup. And I think maybe just juggle those things around a little bit so Mm. that you're not sending such a codified view of femininity towards the audience. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, I think that the main source of that is Miss Honey's character. You can get away with the villainous Trunchbull and and Zinnia Wormwood a little bit more Mm. than you can with Miss Honey. I I found Miss Honey's character the least enjoyable part of this film. And I think that, yeah, like I think it's because she's just very two-dimensional compared to the villains, which I guess, you know, it's, it's a trait of films, isn't it? really Mm. the princess inverted commas the princess character is often 
two-dimensional in that regard. Yeah, but I think it's just worth noting that Trunchbull in recent years has become a bit of an icon for people who don't relate to those more traditional versions mm. of femininity, you know, because she's like, she is iconic and she's entertaining and people celebrate the lines that she says, especially like the, um, why are all these women married? That's, you know, <laughs> celebrated so within um, certain circles of the fandom. And I think the fact that her character is able to be upheld as this subversive version of femininity is at odds with the way it's used to villainize her. Yeah. And I think that if you're going to have a subversive version of femininity in the movie for your audience to identify with, then maybe have it with a a more sympathetic character. Yeah. But that's the only change, the only real big change that I would make. Uh, what about you? What changes would you make to this movie? Trimming a bit of the fat would be would be to the movie's credit. So I would probably do away with the FBI characters Mm. and that whole arc i don't think that's particularly necessary i think as well like i would even go as far as to get rid of the brother the wormwood brother as Mm. well i think just like strip back some of those Mm. those moments to then focus in on the stuff that's more fun and interesting like interactions between trunchbull and the kids and also trunchbull and miss honey as well Mm. on that note like i think that it would have been interesting to maybe get a little bit more than just an exposition dump on the backstory of trunchbull and of miss honey because i think there's some more interesting stuff like explore this whole like murder slash suicide (laughs) cover-up thing like that's a really interesting little nugget there that's sort of skirted over pretty quickly yeah so i just i would use the time that you gain from getting rid of the fbi and all that rubbish you'd use that time to a more interesting narrative thread that's only really touched upon briefly halfway through the film i didn't like the ending very much either yeah um the very ending with the whole adoption papers thing i think it was all just a little bit too neat little bow type ending i think it would have been more interesting if for example the wormwoods still were there Mm. but you know miss honey takes over truncham hall Mm. and then you get a nice little ending where the school goes back to being a normal school and you know matilda finds her solace at school Mm. like she still lives with her parents her horrible parents at home but at least she has this lovely school that's now run by a really nice teacher yeah like i think that's maybe a bit more of a coherent and believable ending than just like (laughs) fast tracking an adoption (laughs) in 35 seconds on the back of a car um at the end of the film i think that that's probably the way i would go with that yeah it would have also maybe been interesting to see matilda's parents gain a bit more respect for her yeah like you could end the film with like you know them actually like opening a book Mm. and reading a book and having the telly off or something you know because i think like despite the fact that they're they're seen as a little bit abhorrent and a bit uh, ridiculous the mother and father like i think you could maybe redeem them a little bit they're not like a trunchbull villain like they're assholes to matilda but i think they're due a bit of a reprieve you know trunchbull gets pelted with ham sandwiches and leaves for good and she's the main villain then why don't you make the other two have a bit more of a redemption arc and they come to terms with the fact that actually they've got a genius daughter and they should be nurturing her as opposed to abusing her blah 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 yeah i think that might be a, a nicer ending than this like ad hoc adoption that takes place at the end and that would also tie in quite nicely to relieving some of the issues with miss honey as a character because then she's not a mother mm. do you know what i mean she's just the headmistress and she does it properly yeah Um, I think that may have been a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I fully agree. And I actually really love the idea of the movie ending on the Wormwoods cracking a book and turning off the TV. I can actually see that ending scene in my head. Like the movie ends with them pressing the off button on the remote and then the screen goes to black and that's the end of the movie. That's cracking. I absolutely love it. I think that's brilliant. 
Um, yeah, done it again. Done it again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're maybe we can't let this go to our heads because this is a perfectly good movie. It's a lovely movie, and I am in no way implying that we could make it any better because it is it is great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. But yeah, I do think those were some really good changes that you made there. But with that all being said, with that all out of the way, there's only one question that remains, Ollie. <laughs> so, do you think you need rose-tinted specs to appreciate this movie, or do you think it holds up to scrutiny? I think this movie holds up to scrutiny very successfully, actually. Mm. There's lots of interesting depth that I noticed studying this film for the podcast, as opposed to just watching it when I was younger. I think that all of the things that we've already mentioned sort of paint the picture of this film being something that you can revisit and every time you rewatch it you'll find something new to appreciate and I think that's a trait that demonstrates that it stands the test of time in my opinion. Yeah, I thoroughly agree with you in every regard there. I think this is a close contender for me with Babe for the movie that's held up the most so far on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciated it in a way that exceeded my appreciation of it as a child and even though there were a few criticisms that could be leveled at it i would happily watch this movie again and i would happily recommend that any adults who have not seen it since they were a child revisit it also because mm. it was just an absolute pleasure to watch it's a really great movie the first thing i'm going to do once we stop talking now is i'm going to go and find a miss trunchbull youtube compilation of all of her insults because yeah. i'm sure there's one out there somewhere so i'm going to go and see if i can find it they do exist because I, I i did that in the lead up to this episode <laughs> when i was trying to write down all her best insults like they do exist and there's one in particular I'll actually, I'll send you it on WhatsApp, but there's one in particular that is absolutely <laughs> glorious in terms of its yeah. editing. So yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a good shout. But yeah, I guess that's it then. We've come to the end. Um, what a lovely experience that was. Finally, fun to enjoy. <laughs> Finally. That's like, what, two or three on the list of an overwhelmingly challenging experience. Um, but yeah. Before we go, I do need to say thank you to Dilettante for letting us use their song My Dress as our theme tune. That's Dilettante. Go look them up if you haven't already. But yeah, in the meantime, I have been Paddy. And I've been Ollie. And we have been Rose Tinted. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you all next time. Before you go, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. Remember, you can also follow us on Instagram at Rose Tinted Movies. Thanks again for listening.